Luke chapter 9, page 1039. We're going to read a couple of incidents out of the, the middle of this chapter, actually. So we begin to read at verse 18 and read through to verse 36. We begin with Peter's confession of Jesus. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. What about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. And when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which was about which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Folks, if you keep that open, that passage which we've read, but also an eye to the whole of Luke chapter 9, that would be, that would be great. Whenever you choose to preach um, a longer book of the Bible, for example, Luke's gospel, this one that we're looking at now, you have some decisions to make about how you're going to preach it. I've made some decisions about how we've been looking at Luke's gospel, and I thought it might help this morning if I shared a couple of those decisions with you. First of all, I decided that we wouldn't go through the whole of Luke's gospel in one go. I've, I've seen people do that. 
It's taken us 15 sermons to cover the first nine chapters, and that's going at a pretty fast pace. So if you imagine slowing the pace down and keeping going, it would turn into a monster series. And there's no problem with that. We could have a very long series that would run for a whole church year, but we haven't decided to do that in this case. Another decision I made as we preached Luke's gospel was to stick to the the divisions in the gospel that are intrinsic to it, rather than me trying to carve it up, trying to say, well, what are the, the main chunks of Luke's gospel? Let's use those as our markers. So we reach one of those dividing markers at the end of our passage today, and that's why we're going to draw this series to a close this morning. The dividing marker falls between verse 50 and verse 51. So if you have a look at verse 51, Luke tells us that as the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Luke is introducing his readers to a whole new part of his gospel. The middle part of his gospel, the one that starts in 9 verse 51, will describe Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Everything that's gone before that we have studied talks about either the early life of Jesus or his ministry in Galilee. And the last part of Luke's gospel tells of what happened in Jerusalem, really the end or the beginning of the whole of Jesus' wonderful ministry. We're going to come back to Luke's gospel sometime in the not-too-distant future, but this morning we're going to wrap up this series and look at the first 50 verses of chapter 9. We've done a, a, few of, a couple of these recently where we've done a whole chapter in 20, 25 minutes, so I think we know how to do this. I think we can do it. So let's, let's do that. Chapter 9, because of what I've just explained, has a t- transitional feel to it. It's the end of part 1, and it's the beginning of part 2, and we can see that. Some of the old themes are still here, but a very important new theme comes to the fore. Last week, I pointed out the identity question. You might remember, who is this? The question that's in the back of your mind as you're reading Luke's gospel. Who is it who can teach like this, who can heal like this, who can do all these incredible things? And the characters in the story so far, they've all been trying to find their answer to that question. Well, in chapter 9, the identity question still live, and I thought I'd point it out to you quickly. Let's trace it very, very quickly. There's a wee paragraph there in verses 7 to 9. What you have here is Herod, the ruler of the region, and he's confused, doesn't really, he's heard about Jesus, but he doesn't know who he is. And in verse 9, you have him asking, who then is this that I hear such things about? Herod doesn't know what he's dealing with in Jesus Christ. But the crowds aren't sure either. You know, we we see the crowds around Jesus, they see his healings, they hear his teaching, and we maybe take a, a bit of a step and say, oh, they know he's God. No, they don't. They're still trying to work it out. So if you look at verse 18, Luke tells us about a time when Jesus asked his disciples, who do the crowds say I am? And their answer shows that there's still plenty of confusion. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. So Herod's not sure who Jesus is. The crowds aren't sure who Jesus is. 
the disciples themselves, they're still trying to work this out. And that's why we have the incident recorded in verses 28 and following, known as the transfiguration. We read it there a moment ago. Jesus and three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, go up onto a mountain to pray. And while Jesus is praying, Luke tells us, verse 29, that the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. And then two people show up. And the people who show up aren't random or randomers, as our kids call people who they can't quite place. We've told them off about that. Uh, We're not sure it's a respectful term. These folks here are not random in their appearance. Moses is Mr. Big. He is the guy who led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and received God's law. He's huge in the history of God's people. You could say Moses is the law. Elijah was known to the Jewish people as the, the biggest of their prophets. So he's a monumental figure too in the history of God's people. So these two people are coming and they're keeping company with Jesus Christ. Before you even think about it very much, you just think, Flip, Jesus must be a big, a big deal if he's hanging around with Elijah and with Moses. But the three disciples get an even clearer indicator about the identity of Jesus uh, that day. Luke tells us in verses 34 to 35 about what happens. A cloud envelops them on the mountain. A voice speaks from the cloud and says, This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. The disciples had never heard the like of it. How could they? But Jesus had. Do you remember from our reading in Luke's gospel when Jesus had heard words not unlike this at his baptism? Chapter 3, verse 22, we're told of a voice Jesus heard after his baptism. You are my son whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased. This voice from heaven that we're hearing in our passage today is quite similar to the last one. But if we look carefully, it's not the same. They're the same but different. What's the difference? The difference primarily is about the audience, isn't it? The voice is always appropriate for the audience. In Luke chapter 3, the audience is Jesus. His father affirming him. That's right. You are my son. I love you, and I think you're great. It's the kind of thing, actually, that any good parent finds themselves saying to their kids as they grow up. In our passage this morning, the voice from heaven addresses a different audience. It's not for Jesus. It's for these three disciples. And this time, the Father confirms Jesus' identity to them. He says, this is is my son. And whenever God says about Jesus, I have chosen him, that's big language to use. Jewish disciples would have heard him say, this is God's chosen one. This is God's chosen king. This is what we refer to as our Messiah. 
And then God shows these disciples that there's only one appropriate way to respond to this chosen king, God's son. Listen to him. Bow your life in humble allegiance to him. Folks, do you see how Luke's gospel repeats the themes, how they recur and snowball, growing always bigger? Last week, in chapter 8, we asked two questions. Who is this? How do I respond? Jesus is God among us. We listen to him. And here it is again. God, in one sentence, the Father says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Uh, folks, as, I suppose the cumulative effect of, of all of this for me in the study last week and this week, preaching last week and this week, it's this sense that if Jesus is who we say he is, then, then we've just got to commit and obey. There's no other alternative. There's no other right response if he's the creator, the chosen king, the one who is going to save us, goodness, we have to drop everything and go after him. So, Luke chapter 9, the themes from previously recur. They're maybe pushed a little bit deeper into our hearts again as we reflect on them again. But then, just for the last few minutes, a new theme comes to the fore here. Let's notice quickly three places in Luke chapter 9 where this theme begins to emerge. We're going to move backwards through the chapter. Um, Verse 44. Jesus tells his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. The disciples didn't know what that meant. Luke tells us that in verse 45, but it doesn't sound good. There's another occurrence of our new theme, but it's so well disguised that uh, I'll maybe just help point it out to you. In the account of Jesus' transfiguration, Luke tells us what Jesus spoke to Moses and Elijah about. It's funny, it's one of those conversations where you say, Flip, I'd love to be a fly on the wall, know what those guys were talking about. Well, Luke tells us, verse 31, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. I've already pointed out that chapter 9, verse 51, marks the end of Jesus' Galilean ministry and the beginning of a journey that's going to take him to Jerusalem. So a verse like this makes sense. We're expecting him to to leave where he is and and head off to Jerusalem. But do you not find that that sentence reads a bit weird? His departure and how it was going to be brought to fulfillment in Jerusalem. How do you bring a departure to fulfillment? You leave and that's it. You've departed, you're gone. Well, it might help if I told you that the The NIV's translation here, the word we have in English is departure, translates a Greek word, exodus. Would that help? What images would that conjure up for you? Have you ever heard of a 
Heard of an exodus? Well, there's the exodus, isn't there, that we talk about? If you don't know it from the Bible, maybe you know it from the movie, The Prince of Egypt. The time when God's people were brought miraculously out of Egypt. The Exodus tells of a crucial turning point in the whole Old Testament. It's the big moment when God used his servant Moses to bring his people from captivity in Egypt. I wonder, do you remember any of the details of how it came about? God's judgment was about to fall on the whole land of Egypt. Why? Well, because they had oppressed his people for years and been incredibly cruel to them. God told his people that an angel of death, his judgment was going to pass through the the nation of Egypt. But he also told them that they could be safe if only they spread the blood of a lamb on the doorposts, the doorframe of their home. The blood of the lamb shed that first Passover, spelled salvation for the people of God. So here you have Moses, the guy who is right at the center of that the guy who led that first exodus, he's talking to Jesus and he's talking about some some type of exodus that Jesus is now going to accomplish. And it's not immediately clear to us in our passage what form this exodus is going to take, but there are hints. Look at verse 22. This is the third and clearest occurrence of Luke's new theme in chapter 9. Jesus predicts to his disciples a time when the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Now, wait a minute. That is beginning to sound quite familiar, isn't it? That's beginning to sound a whole lot like what we're going to remember throughout this week this Holy Week. We know that this is what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem that first Easter. He was betrayed into the hands of men. He suffered, he was killed, and he was finally raised to life. So this is what Moses is talking to Jesus about. They're talking about this new exodus that's coming. God's greatest ever rescue You see, God's judgment had been hanging over every person in the world ever since Adam sinned in the garden and we got in on the act. But just as he did for Israel in Egypt, God offers a a way out, a rescue. Back then he said, put blood on the doorposts of your homes or the angel of death will bring judgment to you. This time it's a bit different. He still invites us to come under the blood if we want to be saved. But this time, it's not the blood of a lamb. Or or at least not any ordinary lamb. This time the blood will be the blood of his own lovely son. Shed on a cross outside Jerusalem on a Friday afternoon. 
Jesus is warning his disciples here early in his ministry that the Son of Man must suffer these things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This time, with the greatest exodus of all, he will be the Passover lamb. It's his blood that'll spell salvation for every one of us. Folks, um, the Passover was an event, but it has an ongoing celebration. Jewish people to this day, 4,000 odd years later, still annually celebrate a Seder or a Passover meal where they remember the events of Moses' exodus out of Egypt. They don't ever want to forget that. And we're the same. Jesus Christ gave us a meal, all those who are his disciples, all those who follow him. He said one evening as he took bread and broke it and gave it out to his friends, as he poured them a glass of wine each, he said, take this bread, take this wine, do this in remembrance of me. This is the meal to remember my exodus, my Passover. Don't ever forget And so we don't. 